Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Church podcast. Visit us online at lifepointcentral.com. Good morning. Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be here as always. It's always fun to come to West Virginia. It's always fun to be with Pastor and Diane. They are wonderful, wonderful people and friends and and uh, we've seen them all over the country in different events and different times and Oklahoma and Texas and Ohio and West Virginia and Tulsa and all kinds of places. And uh, it's an honor to be here. We had a great time with the men. I don't know where the rest of you guys were. Oh, oh, I did check my phone this morning and I found out that Friday and Saturday was the official, you know, there's always an official day or weekend, right? They put this stuff on the weekends. There was an official give your goldfish a bath weekend. <laughs> and so that's, that's where we miss you guys. So, so, so make, make sure that you uh, hit the next time. Um, I'm going to have you give you a head start, have you turn over to Romans chapter one this morning, but but I, you know, uh, preparing. I woke up at six thirty this morning, just straight up out of bed, and and uh, uh, I don't always do that. Um, <laughs> but what what was funny? I heard a phone ring, an old fashioned ring, and it rang just once. And my hotel phone, you know, doesn't have an old fashioned ring; it has one of those digital rings. But anytime I have that, I, you, know, you know, Lord, are you waking me up for something, et cetera, et cetera. I always wake up five minutes before, three to five minutes before my alarm goes off. And my alarm goes off at different times. I don't wake up the same time every day because uh, in the last 10 days, I've been in four time zones. So, you, you know, your body just doesn't wake up the same time every day because you're, you're going to bed at different hours of the night, planes get delayed, et cetera, et cetera. So... Um, I, I, I woke up this morning just straight up and I checked my, checked my uh, clock and it was, it was 6.20. So I, I knew it wasn't time to get, get up and get ready for the service. But anyway, I got up and, and did some different things. But many times I'll see different things going on and, and, and sense different things. And I, 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 thought, about, I thought about heaven and, uh, you know, what it's going to be like. And we, we know a lot from the Word of God what heaven's going to be like, but we don't know truly the fulfillment of it. It's, it's far, far greater than we think it is or than even the Bible can, can comprehend and, and, and record for us. But I thought, you know, getting up to the pearly gates, you know, that, that's going to be pretty special. We've heard all about that, how beautiful they are. And I was welcomed in. Uh, in, the, in this vision I had, and, and it was really, really special, and it was just so beyond my wildest imaginations and dreams, and, and it, I'm walking around different people that I know were greeting me, and, and uh, I've had relationship with, but, but then I, I noticed these, these clock-looking things all around, hanging just in midway, midair and on any, any uh, building or any uh, 
fixture of any kind, just hanging, different sizes, different things. And, and that's all I can describe. I, I know there's no time in heaven, but that's, that's all I could describe. It looked like a clock. So I know there's no clocks there, but the hands were moving and the arms were moving at different speeds in different places. Each one was moving differently. And so I asked one of my friends, what, I know there's no time here. What, are these clocks? Oh, no, no. The, what that is is a device that measures and measured how much sin you committed while you're on earth. That's why some were moving very, very slowly, like Pastor Diane's was moving <laughs> very slowly. Pastor Aaron's was sped up. It was sped up some more. But, you know, I started looking around, and, and, and I found mine, and mine was kind of in between Pastor Diane's and Pastor Aaron's. It was, it was moving, but not a lot. But I said, I haven't seen... Pastor Devin around anywhere. And, and, and where, where's, where's his device? And um, sad to say, this is what they told me. They, they said, well, God got really warm in the throne room and he's using it as a fan because it's just really, <laughs> really spinning around. Now, I may not have a microphone the rest of the service. I don't know if he's back there or not. No. Well, you know that's not true about Pastor Devin because he's a special guy. But I, I did find out something um, up there. I, I asked, you know, a question that we're probably all going to ask, and, and that is, what is eternity? Because we, we have no reference of eternity here on earth. We're time conscious. Your phone has a clock. You, you know, we're so time conscious. And, you know, your car has a clock. Your office, your home, your microwave, your, your oven, er everything has a clock. We're so time conscious here. But in, in heaven there's no time. So what is eternity? And th this is what they told me. They said, well, the only thing you can relate to that can be eternity, eternity is four blondes at a four-way stop sign. That, that's, that, that's, that's similar to eternity. All right, I better go on before I get in trouble. Uh, I was going to tell you my Steelers jokes. You know, I'm from Texas. But um, I'll just tell you this. I, I was in Pittsburgh years ago at a friend of mine's. He's the church has turned over to somebody else now. He moved out to back to California where he's from in the last 25 years. So this was back in the late 80s or early 90s, and, and that's when the Steelers were good. <laughs> and um, so I was telling a couple of jokes. The Cowboys and the Steelers, you know, had this big rivalry, played so much in the Super Bowls and different things. And, and so in telling these jokes, and the, the stage is probably another th three feet higher than this stage, and it's a, a great big uh, auditorium, and um, everybody laughed at my jokes. You know, some, <laughs> uh, but 
There was one gentleman right here on the end, right here on the front. He had a scowl on his face. He did not enjoy not one thing I said. So afterward, at lunch, I asked the pastor, he said, well, your Steelers jokes were, you know, you were right there on the edge of them just shutting you down and turning off the electricity and, you know, sending you home. But I said, well, a lot of people laughed. He said, yeah, I got that. I said, but there's one guy that sits right down there on the ed- end. He had this scowl on his face. And I said, uh, who is that guy? He looks familiar. And the pastor said, um, well, that's Coach Bill Cower's brother. I said, that's how I recognize that scowl. <laughs> and he said, here's the problem, John. Here, here's the problem. He's our accountant that signs your check and counts your offering. <laughs> so I, I'm going to be nice today. I'm going to be nice. Romans chapter 1. Now I'm going to give you a minute to get there. What I want to talk to you about today is extremely important. We've just come through, and we're still in the woes of something very chaotic, something man-made, something manufactured, something weaponized against us, against the church, against our nation, against our previous president. They call it COVID-19, and they call it, you know, this pandemic. However, it's not a true pandemic if you go by the, the true definition of a, of a pandemic. It has now been discovered to be man-made. I knew that in the beginning by the Holy Spirit, but also by the physician friends that I have that know Virologists, different ones that know the truth uh, because it's a mixture. And many people believe that it was originally, originally man-made in a lab in South Carolina and it was stolen and taken to China. And it was even more modified to be extremely contagious. That's why you see those prongs out there on the end of those cells. Do you know that carcinogens and all kinds of viruses go through our bodies every single day? We breathe them in, we come in contact with different things, they go into our bodies, but our body is supernaturally designed by God for most of these things, especially if we're conscious of what we eat, exercise, what we drink, we move in different things, we don't have any, we don't have any pre-existing conditions, those things go right through our bodies. They pass right through our bodies. They're toxic. And our body is not designed to receive toxic material. Now, if you overload it with toxins, yes. 
But our body's designed to ward off those kinds of issues and those kinds of diseases. But this particular one attaches itself to tissues. That's why you see those prongs out from it, those red or pink prongs. They attach themselves. And now, this is not, this is not John George's opinion. This is from physicians. In fact, my wife just had her annual appointment with her female doctor, which I am glad to pay any amount of money because he prescribes estrogen and progesterone for her. <laughs> That's why her doctor and I are good friends. <laughs> but he runs a clinic and he has a whole team of doctors and virologists and surgeons and different things that, and he all gave them homework for three months last year to do different research on these different things and different, and they came together and he, he was just, he was just at a, a large conference. Now he's an MD, but he's also a, a naturopath just at a large conference in Florida. And everything that they had studied and they had researched was confirmed from the other countless leaders in that conference. But here's, here's my point. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, in the, in the last days, perilous times shall come. On the screen you'll see the amplified classic version that says, in the last days will come or set in. What does that tell me? This is taken from the Greek. The perilous times, folks, are here to stay. They're set in. They're not passing through. We see different statements made by Jesus, this too shall pass, this will pass away, this will pass. What this is saying is this, is, this will not pass away. They're set in. Times of great stress, hard to deal with, difficult to bear what it says there in the Amplified. Not easy. I think all of us would agree that 2020 was nothing but easy. Excuse me, not easy. It's not easy at all. It's very difficult. Perhaps some of you lost loved ones, you lost friends. I did. Perhaps some of you had to spend time in, in the hospital and spend time trying to visit people and they wouldn't let you do it. You were restricted, et cetera, et cetera. It's very difficult, hard to bear. This scripture is not in our Bible to scare us. This scripture is in our Bible to prepare us. Scripture that reveals things about the last days that are difficult or reveals things that are blessing are not to scare us, but to prepare us, to get us ready for what's to come. And I want to say this to you, and this sounds scary, but it's not. 
Things that are coming in the future are far worse than COVID-19. And I'm not talking about a pandemic. I'm not talking about something that was manufactured. I'm talking about things of evil. The Bible says in this very chapter that in the last days there will be evildoers and seducers that shall wax worse and worse. And I don't want to turn your attention to this, this whole chapter, but I'd encourage you to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, the whole chapter today. Today. Because what it does is it goes in and it compares the difficulties that we would face in the last days to the difficulties that Moses faced against the sorcerers the magicians of Pharaoh. And he said, they will come to no end, or they will come to end, excuse me. They will come to naught. In other words, they're going to be defeated. So just like it happened with Moses overcoming Pharaoh and his magicians and all the soothsayers, the witch doctors, etc., etc., the same thing's going to happen to us. And Paul is writing this to t young Timothy, Pastor Timothy, and he says, don't despair. Don't be upset. Perilous times are here. They're difficult. They're hard to bear. But from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation, and you're going to overcome these last day's perils. So the message is to alert us that perilous times are here and coming but also the message is alerting us, you're going to overcome them with the scripture. You're going to overcome them with the word, knowing who you are in Christ. Why? Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. That's 1 John 4, 4. And that's talking about demon spirits. And folks, we are living in a generation, in a time frame, filled and dictated and dominated by demon spirits. Many of them are in Washington. I'm not talking about Washington on the Brazos of Texas. I'm not talking about Washington, PA. I'm talking about D.C. I go to D.C. every year. I, I go there regularly. I pray for every president at the White House, either in the White House or outside the White House since Jimmy Carter. I've wanted to cast some things out of some of them. But I know that there's a spirit around the beltway. There's a spirit. There's a spirit. In Charleston, West Virginia. There's a spirit in Austin, Texas. There's a spirit, evil spirits that operate and function around seats of government, state capitals, national capitals. Why? Because the enemy wants to attack governmental authority. I talked to the men about that yesterday. He has to come through legal channels that God has already created, the home, the church, and government, and he attacks those to try to tear down the godly environment that was ordained for our nation. And he does that for every nation. But what I want you to see 
is something very critical. You will not make it. You will not overcome if you don't learn to walk by faith. And I'm not talking about mamsy-pamsy faith. Oh, my faith is so important to me. You're not in faith if you say that. If you refer to God, your heavenly Father, as the man upstairs, you're not in faith. Come on. Or the grand poopaw in the sky, you're not in faith. Hello? Because to be in faith, you have to have an intimacy with your father. You have to have a relationship with your elder brother, Jesus. Don't try this at home, but if you were to try to go out this coming Saturday night and cast out devils without a relationship with Jesus and use his name, you're going to get your fanny whipped. You're going to get your clothes stripped off, and you're going to be another streaker, just like the seven sons of Sceva got kicked out of town because they were trying to use the name of Jesus with no relationship. And I've seen it over and over and over and over. I've seen pastors try to use the name of Jesus and have no authority using his name. Why? Because they didn't have an intimate relationship with Jesus. But I've seen little grannies, five foot two, eyes of blue, little bitty things, use the name of Jesus with great authority and power. Has nothing to do with your bench press number. It has to do with your press, you're pressing in to who you are in Christ. Come on, somebody. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we'll look at this just on the screen in the Amplified, it said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel or the good news of Christ, for it is God's power working unto salvation. Say God's power. God's power. So, He's telling us that the gospel, the good news, what is the good news? What is the gospel? That God so loved the world, it's all in John 3, 16. God so loved the world, God so loved you, God so loved me, that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe on him should not perish, but receive everlasting life, eternal life. It's beyond the four-way stop with four blondes. It's, it's beyond that. It's, it's even longer than that. And that's a long time. But it's even longer. We got two blondes on the front, three blondes on the front row. I might, I might get some tomatoes before the service is over. That's essentially the good news. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but that's not the end of the story. But God, who is rich in mercy. The but gods in your New Testament are really cool verses. 
But God, who is rich in mercy, what did he do? He saved us. He loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sin. And when I believe on him, I, I become an overcomer instead of an underachiever. I, I, become, I become overwhelmed by his power and his love and his, his grace and his empowerment. And I become a victor instead of a victim. Christians that are victims and blame everybody else for their shortcomings and what's going on in their life, you don't, you're not understanding who you are in Christ. And you're not going to make it in the last days. You're, you're not going to be an overcomer. You're going to be the underachiever. You're going to be the devastated one. You're going you're to be the one that's always taking instead of giving. You're going to be the one that's what the Lord showed me years ago, you're going to be the pretender instead of the contender. We're supposed to be contending for the faith, not pretending we're in faith. That's Jude 3. We're supposed to be contending, fighting for the faith. But he says here, it is God's power. Say God's power. Is God's power working unto salvation for deliverance from eternal death? Just that is enough for me to serve God, that I get delivered from eternal death. That I live in a, in a place filled with fire and brimstone, but my body never deteriorates. My body never dies. I just have to put up with the pain. I'm in torment. I'm in torture. The, the Bible says that, that hell is a place that continually burns. And there, where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, there's no party there, ACDC. There's not a party there. It's devastating. Just that reason is enough for me to come under the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just that gives me enough impetus or enough motivation to get saved just for that. But this is what I love about God. He's not a barely enough kind of God. He's not a just get me into heaven by the skin of my teeth or the hair of my chinny chin chin just to barely get to heaven people talk about that and they make jokes about that all the time it's not a joke for me because i've lost family and friends that went to hell so have you it's not a joking matter it's eternal damnation it's eternal death that's not a funny thing to me and it says to everyone who believes, now watch this, watch this definition. Everyone who believes with a personal trust and a confident surrender and a firm reliance. What did, what did these translators, this is taken from the Greek, what did these translators just identify for us? That our belief, our faith is far more than, well, my faith is so imparted to me. It's far deeper than that. It's a confident surrender. It's a firm reliance. It's a personal trust. What does that mean? Nobody can trust God for me. 
Nobody, their faith is not going to help me get into heaven. It has to be my personal faith. Their faith is not going to make me understand my position in Christ. It's going to take my faith. It's going to take my relationship with him. It's going to take my confidence surrender. What is a confidence surrender? Man, I, I mentioned this yesterday. What is a confidence surrender? That means I'm all in, knowing, knowing that he will do better for me than I could ever do for myself. That's a confidence surrender that I'm giving my all. You see, I wasn't raised in church. I wasn't raised in a godly home. My parents separated when I was four. My dad was AWOL. My dad never paid child support. My dad was a deadbeat dad. My mom, my mom was a drunk. She was a, a pill addict. My parents never opened the Bible. They never prayed with us. They never took us to church, not one time. We never even went to a wedding in the church. We never even went to a memorial growing up with our parents. We never went to church, period. Oh, they had a form of godliness. They had Bibles. So does a library, but it doesn't mean everything in there is saved. I guess school libraries don't have Bibles anymore. But yet when something bad happens, like a shooter, an active shooter gets in the school, where was God? Oh, you kicked him out in 63, so shut up. Where was God? When Christians say that, it just screams, ignorant, ignorant, ignorant. Or I don't know why God allowed this, or I don't know what God, I know God, God has a purpose for everything, and I don't know what his purpose in this, but I just need to learn to trust him. You don't know who you are in Christ, and you don't know God either when you make those kinds of statements. Now, none of you would be that foolish, but you have fleshly, flaky, funky friends that are. Now, why would I say something so strong? Because Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Notice what it says, steal and kill and destroy, not or. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then he said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So he says, he just tells us straight up, we don't have to question. We don't have to wonder where evil comes from. It comes from the devil. He's the thief. It doesn't come from God. God is not in co coercion. God is not in cooperation with the devil to make evil come to your life. That's the devil's fault. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. It's a Greek word that means persistos. The word life is zoe that means the God kind of life. There's no depression in heaven. There's no, there's no pharmacy in heaven. There's no Prozac need for Prozac in heaven. There's no oppression. There's no depression. So we shouldn't have it as a believer either. Why? Because when we know who we are in Christ, we have spiritual authority. We have power over the enemy. Don't have time. That's a whole seminar right there. 
But I want you to notice, look at verse 17. For in the gospel, the good news, but what he's saying there, in the gospel, the word of God, the New Testament, primarily Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the gospel is the, the whole book. A righteousness which God ascribes is revealed. In other words, the word righteousness was originally spelled right wiseness in your Bible. Right wiseness. It mean, it's an accounting term that means all square balance. We're all square. We're balanced with God. So he's saying in the word of God, in the gospel, a righteousness which God ascribes. In other words, it comes from him. It doesn't come from religion. It doesn't come from man. It doesn't come from a preacher. It doesn't come from a seminary. It comes from heaven. A righteousness which God described is revealed, both springing from faith, say from faith, leading to faith, say that, Disclosed through the way of faith, say the way of faith, that arouses to more faith, say that. So this must be, this faith stuff must be more than my faith is so important to me. Must be deeper than that. Come on. It must be far deeper than that. The Bible says the just, the righteous shall live by faith, and that's what, that's what this says in the King James of this verse. The righteous, the, the born again people, those who are saved are supposed to be living by faith. Can I borrow one of your uh, phones? Thank you. You know, we use this primarily as a phone, camera, but really this is a computer. There's more technology, more power, bigger processor, faster processor in this pocket device than what they sent man to the moon in with. A computer back then was the size of a boxcar. For you young people who don't know what a boxcar is, that's a railroad car that you see. <clears throat> There's more technology and far more access. There was no WWW back then. There was no World Wide Web. There was no internet. And computers were not as digital as they are now. They had some, some digitization, but for the most part, it was just tape. And they had to write the programs. They used punch cards. Anybody remember that? Punch cards. And only the government and the airlines had them. Nobody else had them. There were no, there were no PCs, no personal computers. Apple, had, you know, was barely around, and it hadn't developed anything that it is today. But here's my point. This is what most Christians do. with what we call faith. They use faith as an app instead of their operating system. 
What do I mean by that? What is an app? Application, an app is software that somebody designed, not, not just Microsoft, not just Apple, not just, not just you know, HP, but some, some individuals design them in their bedroom or their, you know, kids have designed apps. They're applications to meet a need. Maps, I use them every day. You do too probably. I use them every day. I use them for, for travel. I, I've got an app for airlines. I've got an app for hotels. I've got an app for all kinds of rental cars. I've got an app for all kinds of stuff. I've got an app for, for uh, I've got Gas Buddy app. I define the cheapest gas nearest me, et cetera, et cetera, to fill up my car instead of the $10 gas per gallon at the airport. <laughs> Trying to be a good steward. So what, what do you do? You're, you're using an application that will help you fulfill a need. Well, that's the problem. Most Christians just use faith as an app to get a need met. Well, I'm sickly or I'm broke, and so I, I need some faith to get, to get healed. I need some faith to get some money. I need some faith to get, to get a promotion. I need some faith to find a husband or a wife. Uh, the husband is for the girls, the wife is for the guys, just, just to qualify that. I need some faith. But faith is not designed to be your app. Faith is designed to be your OS, your operating system. Apps don't work without an operating system. Thank you. We're supposed to be living by it. Not just temporarily using it whenever we have a need. We're supposed to be living by it every single day. The just, the righteous shall live by faith. Not cherry pick faith when we have a need. Or when we've tried everything else, then we're going to try faith. You don't try faith. That's like saying, I'm trying to be married. I would become well acquainted with my wife's backhand. If I said that to her, I'm trying to be married to you, sweetheart. I'm trying to be, huh? And the problem is she has jewelry on both hands. I would be scarred. I would, it would be all over. In fact, some of that jewelry would knock me out. It's just <clears throat> big stuff, you know. But that's our problem. We're trying faith. We're trying to live by faith. We're trying that's not what the Bible says. There's not one place in your New Testament that says try, try to live by faith or try faith. It says the just shall live. The just shall live by faith. We're supposed to walk by faith. Walk every day, every way. We're supposed to be living by faith. That's what he's communicating to us. Now this is the word God gave me that we must we must operate in in these last days. We must stand up in, in the last days. We cannot not any longer live by old-fashioned faith or grandmama's faith. Why? Because we're living in perilous times. They are set in. We've got to step up our faith walk. Many people, many Christians in the body of Christ, even right here in this room, 
have never walked by faith. Got quiet, Life Point Presbyterian. <laughs> Hear how quiet that was? But it's the truth. Every church has that. People that have never walked by faith. Why? Because even though they call it walking by faith, they're, they've never actually been in faith. This is what faith is. And this is what we must walk in in the last days. We must walk in formidable faith. Formidable. Let me tell you what this is. This is Bible faith. Bible faith is formidable. What does formidable mean? We don't use that word much, but formidable means tough. It means powerful. It also means intimidating to the enemy. This is the word the Lord gave me. He said, I want you to study about formidable faith. And it's been a long time, and I've got five pages of notes here. There's no way I won't even get through the first page. But we, we must live with formidable faith in these last days. You know what a formidable faith is? If you don't know the story of John G. Lake, study that man. John G. Lake, missionary to Africa. He was British. And he got on a boat in England. And he sailed down the west coast of Europe. Past France. Past Portugal. Past Spain. Past West Africa. And landed in South Africa during the bubonic plague. He wasn't a doctor. But you know what he did? When he found out, he was, he was there to bring the life of Christ to people. But what he found out is more people were dying than living. Thousands every day before he could even pray for them, before he could even teach them the word of God. So here he is. He's been thrust into a real pandemic. Did he run back to the boat? No. Because he knew that God's sitting there and he knew that God knew that that was going on. So he had no fear. You see, formidable faith has no fear. One of the greatest things that was exposed about the church in 2020 was the spirit of fear. The fearful church. Many churches have remained closed. Many people that even used to come to LifePoint haven't returned. Why? Because I just believe in personal safety. You go to Food Line, you go to Walmart, you eat out, you go to Lowe's and Home Depot. How do I know? 
because I'm there too. Hello? You go to work. Some people work at home still, but some people are just so scared, so filled with fear, the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear is a killer, folks. Just the spirit of fear will kill you. Forget COVID. The spirit of fear will kill you when you yield to it. It will kill you dead, and you'll be so fearful that you'll have a car wreck, or you'll run off the road, or, or something else will attach itself to you. Don't be fearful. The Bible says over 365 times, fear not. One for every day. So fear is a real issue, but faith overcomes fear. If you're in faith, you cannot fear. When Jesus said in Matthew 16, upon this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell will prevail against it. There's not a footnote that says, except as there, if there's a virus. <laughs> except if there's a plague in Africa, a bubonic plague. You see, John G. Lake knew who he was in Christ. And his life scripture was here in Romans. Turn with me. I didn't, get, I didn't give this to the, to the guys. Romans chapter 8. His life scripture, his, his whole purpose for being. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This was his Life scripture, this is the scripture that God gave him, said you're going to build your whole life on this verse. For God has not given you. You're not submitted under the law of sin and death. You are born again, the law of the spirit of life in Christ is greater than the law of sin and death. That would include the bubonic plague. That would include COVID. So if you're living a life submitted to the authority of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear. He's praying for people that have already died and he raises them from the dead. He's praying for people that have this nasty fear dirty foam coming out of their nostrils and their mouth. And the doctors that came said, oh, you can't touch them. You can't touch that foam. And this is what he did. He said, put the foam in my hand. The foam was filled, teeming with deadly plague-filled bacteria. He said, you doctors... You researchers, you lab techs, put this under your microscope. They put that foam under the microscope and it was teeming with that bacteria, aggressive. It was killing people in a matter of hours when they came in contact with it. Not like COVID, not just COVID was, you know, spanned out. This was just in a few moments. And then he said, put it in my hand. And then put it under the microscope, and it was dead. 
It was dead. Why? Because it came in contact with the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Well, I don't believe that. I hope you have a really good burial policy. So your wife or your husband doesn't have, or your kids don't have to go on GoFundMe and bury you. Folks, death is certain if Jesus doesn't come back before we die. Death is certain. You need to prepare for death. You should have a policy. You shouldn't be a freeloader off your kids or your wife or your spouse or your husband for when you die. You need a policy. It's called life insurance. Well, that's not faith. No. It's wisdom. Faith and wisdom are partners. They work together. Come on, somebody. We shouldn't, have to, we shouldn't have to go on Facebook or go on the Internet, go on Twitter, go on you know, Instagram, whatever. Please help me. My 89-year-old dad died, and we don't have any money. Come on. All right, I got to meddling. But this is common. This is common. Every week, every single week, I get a notice of an organization that's a faith organization that one of our fellow ministers has died and they're asking us to send money to help with burial costs every week. Something wrong with that picture. Death is certain. Let's prepare for it. Let's, let's fast some $9 Starbucks and put it into a policy, especially as a young person, your life insurance policy is pennies a day. Pennies a day. Don't do whole life, do term life. Out at my table, we're selling insurance policies. No, I'm kidding, no. <laughs> now why is that so important? Because it's inevitable. The Bible says appointed unto man wants to die. We, it's appointed that we will die. It is a part of life. As a believer, I don't have to fear death. That's what's amazed me about 2020. So many Christians are filled with fear. What are you afraid of? A virus? No. Most Christians are afraid to die. Why would a Christian be afraid to die? It is a graduation to glory. Why be fearful to die? Well, aren't you afraid? I'm not afraid of anything. Why? Because I have Jesus living on the inside of me. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Everything that's in him is in me. I never saw Jesus one time. Oh my God, I'm running to the garden to, to pray because I'm in fear. Jesus was never fearful. He knew what was facing him. See, the body of Christ, we need to know what's facing us. We need to know this book well enough to know what's coming. Not only that, Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, John 16, you can study this. He said, he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit will prepare you for things to come. Right. 
We shouldn't be in fear for anything. Come on, somebody. Now turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Most of us know this by heart. The King James says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Look at the Amplified on the screen. He did not give us a spirit of timidity. That's the spirit of fear, timidity. In other words, timidity is not of God. Timidity is not a posture that a believer should have. My Bible says, the, I think it says this, the righteous are, the righteous are as bold as a meow. No, no, not, not, not a kitty cat. The righteous are as bold as what? A lion. Christians should be roaring in these last days instead of hiding in these last days. We should be roaring. We sh our voices need to be heard in the ether, in the atmosphere, in Charleston, in Washington. The church has been too silent. We've been intimidated. Anything that's intimidating is not of God. You see, if we're walking by faith, we're intimidating to the enemy. Our faith intimidates the enemy. You see, the author of fear is Satan. That means that he's fearful himself. That's why he's so proficient at fear, and I know fear well. I told the men about that. My brother used to wake me up in the middle of a nightmare. Happened multiple times. Six or eight blocks down the street. When I got up out of our squeaky steel spring bed with that cotton mattress on top, usually about this thin, you know, you couldn't turn over without. Anybody remember those spring, those spring beds? Well, I'd get up, and of course, it's all hand-me-down, all rusted. I'd get up. He thought I went to the restroom. This is when we were children. I was four or five years old. But then I didn't come back to bed. He'd get up to see it. He'd look in the restroom. I'm not in there. He'd go out into the, to the living room, and the door's open. I got a head start on him. And he would go outside in his boxers, and I'm in my boxers, we're barefooted. He'd go outside and listen for me because he knew I'd, I'd be screaming. And he'd run and catch me. The day I got born again, I never had another spirit of fear attack. I never had a spirit of fear. I was just in Colorado last week. I was driving through downtown Denver on Interstate 25, going north to, to the church I was going to. I was talking to my wife on the cell phone. Hands-free, by the way. I said, honey, I'm just about a quarter of a mile from the hotel. Oh. 
over 60 years ago. Sixty-two years to be exact. I was three. And my dad took me. He was a professional rodeo cowboy and he traveled all over and we were at the Denver. They call it the, the Denver Rodeo. They call it the Great Western Fat Stock Show and Rodeo. It's one of the big rodeos in the winter. My brother was still in school, obviously. He's four years older, so he was seven or eight. My dad took me with him to the rodeo. We're there a whole two weeks. My dad left me in the hotel room. I'm three and a half. He left me in the hotel room for three days by myself in a high-rise hotel. I could still see the hotel. I could still see the huge snowflakes coming down outside. It looked pretty. It was a big white building. It, was, it looked very pretty. But I'm glad they tore that hotel down because it had really bad memories for me. I would scream and cry myself to sleep every night unless the cowboys next door, who back in the summer I was at the Pro Rodeo Cowboy Hall of Fame where my dad is also enshrined. And I saw these two men in the Pro Rodeo Cowboy Hall of Fame that were rooming in the room next door. And I knew them, I knew their children. And they would knock on the door, John, come sleep with us. And I would go and get in bed between them or sleep on the sofa that they had so they could get some sleep because they're riding a bull or a horse tomorrow or two. You see, I know what real fear is. My dad put me in the hotel room and he'd go ride his stock, bulls or horses, steer wrestle or bareback riding or bull riding. And he would just send up room service to me to eat. And instead of coming back to the room and staying with me or let me stay with him, he would go down in the lobby and gamble away his earnings. You see, my dad's in the National Cowboy Hall of Fame in Oklahoma City. He's in the Pro Rodeo Cowboy Hall of Fame in Colorado Springs. He's in the Texas Rodeo Cowboy Hall of Fame in the stockyards of Fort Worth. He's in the Cheyenne Frontier Days Cowboy Hall of Fame in Wyoming. But he's not in the Husband Hall of Fame. He's not in the Father Hall of Fame. Why is that? Because Jesus was not his Lord. If Jesus is your Lord, he's going to extract the stupid out of you. He's not going to let you stay the same way you are. My dad earned and won millions of dollars. Millions. My dad was in cowboy movies with Audie Murphy, Ben Johnson, John Wayne, and countless, countless others. What's the guy that was on Gunsmoke? His name was Buck. Buck Taylor. Buck Taylor was in those, a lot of those movies. 
He earned and won millions of dollars. He died broke. We had to help my step family pay for his burial. Now here's what I'm trying to get across to you. You can be a tough guy. You can be brilliant. You can be a brilliant businessman, my dad was. But if Jesus is not your Lord, the enemy is going to steal and kill and destroy from your life, and you don't have anything to stop it. Faith stops the enemy. The Bible says faith stills the avenger. Why? Because formidable faith, Bible faith, is intimidating to him. He has no opposition to it. He has, he can't, it, what he has can't stand up to it. Amen? So he's not giving us a spirit of fear. Look at this on the screen again. He's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power, authority, love, agape, and a sound mind that says in the, King James, but this describes it, a calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. You know, in 2021 and the years ahead of us, we're going to have to have somebody that has a sound mind, that has some self-control, because people around us are losing their self-control. People around us are losing their minds. They're in abject fear, driving down the street by themselves with a hazmat suit and umpteen covers on their face by themselves. Gripped by the spirit of fear. Breathe. Air. It's healthy for you. I won't get into that. Well, as I close, I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Anybody get anything yet? What does it mean to be formidable? It, it, it means to be tough and powerful, strong, intimidating to the enemy. Formidable faith is, is not what some people think. Well, I've already tried faith. It just wasn't for me. Then you never were in faith. Or people have asked you, how can you believe in something you cannot see? Well, faith is a substance, it says in Hebrews chapter 11. It's a substance of things hoped for. But how can you believe in something you cannot see? You do it every day, thousands upon thousands of times. You can't see with that device in your lap, your tablet, your phone. You, you can't you can't see the technology behind that. You can't see the software. You, you just see the results of it. You can't see the signal that's, that's communicating back and forth. You can't see the thousands of signals that are in this room right now, but they're very real. We believe in things that we cannot see all the time. I can't see your brain, but I hope that you have one. We can't see the oxygen we breathe, but we rely on it every day. Well, I could go on and on and on and on. I was in the church outside of Houston not long ago. It's the only church I've ever been to that has a wind sock. 
You know what that is? They normally have it at airports, you know, it's that orange thing and it catches the wind and it tells you which direction the wind's blowing from, right? It's the only church I've ever been in that has a windsock in the parking lot. I said, why do you have a windsock in your parking lot? They said, well, as you already know, we're the only church left in our town because we're on top of this great salt dome filled with natural gas and many times there are explosions because the natural gas ignites, and that's what these cracks are in the ground. The natural gas comes up from the, and there's these explosions, and one Wednesday night I come out of that church, and we're just talking out in the parking lot before we get in our cars and go our separate ways, and I hear this explosion. It's a mile away, and I hear this, missile. I said, what is that? They said, we don't know, but let's look at the windsock. I said, why are we looking at the windsock? Because if there's been an explosion at one of these natural gas plants or one of these chemical plants, we need to know where the gas cloud is going to go if we're downwind of it. When I drove on the parking lot this morning, there was no windsock here, thank God. No, no life point windsock. If there was, I promise you that Pastor Aaron would have put a logo on it. He would have put a logo on the windsock. Very recognizable. This is life points windsock, bless God. This is, this is not a normal windsock. You know what the name of that church was? So appropriately named. Maranatha. You know what that means? Come quickly, Lord. Come, come quickly, Lord. <laughs> so appropriately named. Appropriately named. But, but watch, watch this. We're seeing something here in Hebrews chapter 10 that's extremely important. I, I mentioned this to the men yesterday, and it wasn't in my notes, but I, I, I knew we needed to turn to it. It says on, on the screen, but the just shall live by faith. Oh, we've seen that before. My righteous servant, or those who follow me, shall live by his conviction respecting man's relationship to God and divine things. Let's stop right there. What? 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 Believers, my righteous servant, shall live by his conviction. Oh, well, that's not just an app then, is it? Because see, I don't have to have any apps on my phone. It's not a conviction that I have a hotel app. It's a conviction that I have faith. You see, we have to, this is where the body of Christ, we've been unlearned in some areas. We think our preferences are convictions and our convictions are preferences. Those are opposite. In other words, I don't have a conviction that I have to eat Mexican food today. That's a preference. I'm not saying I want to eat Mexican food in West Virginia, trust me, but <laughs> I am from Texas. Well, my point is, I must learn as a believer, as a mature believer, I must learn to separate my preferences from my convictions. My convictions are non-negotiable. Do you know that your Bible is full of convictions and your Bible is full of preferences? 
And you have to learn the difference between the two. God has some convictions. In other words, some non-negotiable truths that he will not, will not compromise. And we see it all through the Bible. It was a conviction with God that kings acted like kings and priests acted like priests. So when King Saul tried to perform burnt offerings and sacrifices, instead of waiting for Samuel, he lost his reign over Israel, didn't he? Why? Because God said, uh-uh, you're a king. Kings are conquerors. Kings are can-doers. Kings aren't priests. <laughs> and we have to understand the difference. What, what, what happened with the guy when David became king and he sent a couple of messengers out to find the Ark of the Covenant? It was on a farm. It was in a cart. So they, they were bringing the ox cart with the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, back into Jerusalem. And they were on very similar roads of West Virginia. They're filled with potholes. <laughs> After the winter especially, filled with potholes. And the wheel went down in a pothole. And a guy named Uzzah. Aren't you glad names don't pass down forever? That sounds like a, a plague. That's Uzzah. What's his name? Uzzah. Well, what's he oozing? He reached back to study the ark. That's a good thing. It was a good thing that David sent them out after the ark of the covenant. It was a good thing that he didn't want the ark to fall out of the cart. And he died. God, are you having a bad day? What's going on? Who was supposed to be handling the ark? The priest. Not soldiers. Only the priests. There are certain truths in our Bible that are non-negotiable. They are convictions with our God. We need to know his convictions, and they need to become ours. You want to know why you're not getting your prayers answered? Because many Christians are living by preference instead of conviction. They prefer the Bible sometimes instead of it being a conviction. I'm hiding this in my heart. I'm renewing my mind with this. I need this in my life. I need this like more than I need blood. I need this more than I need a wife. I need this more than I need my seven grandchildren. I need this more than food. I need this more than Diet Coke. I need this more than water. I need this more than anything. I need this more than my vehicles. I need this more than my home. I need this more than my friends. I need this more than anything. Trouble is, most Christians don't, don't need this at all. We stop carrying our Bibles, we stop reading our Bibles, we stop studying our Bibles, we stop quoting our Bibles, we stop learning our Bibles. And we wonder why all hell is breaking loose against us. A notable preacher who has a notable preacher father reason I say that, because he was taught better than this. This is what he said two years ago. By the way, his church is still not reopened. This is what he said. 
He has a great following online. He has a great following on TV. But this is what he said. The church would be just fine without the Bible. He said the Bible is the biggest problem in the church. Let me tell you what the biggest problem is in the church. Ignorance of what's in the Bible. That's the biggest problem. And since that man said that, I, I, I would not walk across the street. I would not walk across a sidewalk to listen to him. I don't want to have anything to, I don't want to have, hear anything he has to say. Now I've got to close, but let's look at the rest of this. You can, you can turn to the next screen, guys. And a holy fervor, not only that heart conviction, but a holy fervor born of faith and conjoined with it. A holy fervor. Can you say, can you say that your faith is in you by holy fervor? It's a conviction. It's not a preference. It's not up here. It's here. It's here. I have a lot of preferences up here. You do too. I have a lot of preferences. But that's not what drives my life. What drives my life is my convictions. What drives my life is my holy fervor, my non-negotiable truths that I did not make. I did not build this word built. Why? Because I know what fear's like. I know what sin is like. I know what the other side of the booze commercials look like. I lived it. I grew up in it. It's not a party. It's not fun. Oh, but for a season, there is no joy at the bars. There's just happiness. And it's temporary. You see, what they don't show on those booze commercials, this tequila, Tito's, Patron, what they don't show is what it looks like out in the parking lot or back in the bathroom where the piss and the urine is mixed with the blood and the water, and the booze. That's what it's really like. What it's really like is when your parent is so drunk they can't drive, but they get behind the wheel anyway. And people die. If they don't die, it's because your older brother had enough wherewithal to pull your mom from behind the wheel before the car ran into the oncoming traffic. Where your little brother got behind and put his knees in the back of the big brother so he could see over the dash and steer the wheel. Back then, steering wheels were this big. What it really looks like it's when your mom or your dad is drunk or your boyfriend or your girlfriend and they pick fights and they have all kinds of chaos and they break beer bottles. Long necks in Texas back then, they were used twice, once to drink out of, the next time to use as a handle and break the end off. And now it's a, it's a, it's a weapon. That's how this guy grew up. 
but my God, but my God, but my God. My children have never tasted, they've never seen that kind of chaos. They've never cried themselves to sleep in the spirit of fear. They've never had the boogeyman visit their bedroom. They've never had, why? Because the devil doesn't stay around our house. We kick him out. We don't watch, we don't watch the living dead or the walking dead or the, the ghouls and the goblins. People are now living out Halloween every night in their living rooms. And you don't think the spirit of fear is going to gain entrance into your child's bedroom? No, you're bringing and inviting the spirit of fear. Come on in instead of standing against and casting them out. Our children have enough to deal with. But wait a minute. I prayed that prayer and now I lay me down to sleep. What scripture is that prayer taken from? If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's something your child doesn't need to be hearing or praying in the dark. Putting an attitude that they might die before they wake up the next day. Come on, somebody. Now look at this next verse and we'll close. What, I'm sorry, but let's back up to the last screen. It says that holy fervor, born of faith, can join with it, and if he draws back and shrinks in fear, say shrinks in fear. If we shrink in fear, my soul has no delight or pleasure in him. Now look at the next verse. But our way, say our way. Our way, our way, our way. way. Who's he talking about? Bible way, God way, Jesus way, Jesus people. Come on, come on, faith people. Formidable faith people. Our way is not of those that draw back into eternal misery or perdition or sin and are utterly destroyed, but we are of those who believe. What does that mean? Cleave to, trust in, and rely on him. We are those people. Those are the people that Jesus is coming after in the last days. He's not coming after the fearful and the running from COVID or anything else. He's coming after a a church that is not timid, but a powerful, glorious church. He's coming after a church that intimidates the devil. But just like I said to the men, too many Christians are trying to defeat and overcome a full-time devil by being a part-time Christian. We cherry pick when we pray. We cherry pick when we read our Bible. We cherry pick when we meditate on the word. Yet we want God to be our errand boy. Let me tell you, let me tell you something between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is the biggie. Obviously Jesus. But here's the biggie. Instead of Begging God to deliver us. Jesus gave the authority to us against the devil. He gave us the authority to speak to our mountains, to command our mountains. Stop asking God to move your mountain. 
when he's already told you to move it yourself. You move it with what? No doubt in your heart. This is Mark eleven twenty three. Whosoever should say unto his mountain, that means command. It's a Greek word, the epo, epo, means command his mountain. And shall not doubt in his heart. How do I keep doubt out of my heart? Keep it out of your head. By renewing your mind to this book. How do you know you have doubt? What is doubt? It's unbelief. It's lack of faith. So I must stand in faith. I must command my mountain. And I don't have any doubt in my heart, but I believe those things which I say. Now that Greek word is different. Laleo, L-A-L-E-O. That means boldly declare. If you go around most churches today, you don't hear a boldness. You hear a timidity. Well, I don't know why God is allowing it. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Did you ever hear Jesus or read that Jesus said that one time? Never. Any disciple? Yeah. Before they were born again. But after Acts 2, they never said anything like that again. You look at the Pauline epistles, never any doubt, never any questioning. Come on. Don't know why God did none of that. Come on. Before, yeah. But after they were born again, after they were spirit-filled, none of that. Amen? We shall not doubt in our heart, but shall believe those things which we boldly declare. We will have whatever we say, is what, he, what Jesus said. These are the words of Jesus. And verse 22 says, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith. He's saying this is the God kind of faith. That's formidable faith. It's the God kind of faith. What is that word? He shall have whatever he says. L-E-G-O, Lego. He shall have whatever he builds with his words. Our mouths need to get saved. How does that work? Our heads need to be renewed. Our spirit man got renewed, but our heads didn't get renewed yet. That's up to us. I've got to dig into this word. I've got to renew my mind by the truth, by the word of God. That's, that's the difference between my brother and I and so many of our family members. They never actually dug into this. But y'all are preachers. We weren't preachers. The day we got saved, they gave us a Bible, and we started tearing it apart. Then we go to that Baptist pastor where we got saved. What does this mean, this power stuff? Oh, that's done away with. So you mean that tongue stuff is done away with? Oh, yeah, that's done away with. We found out it's not done away with. Paul said this is not only to you. This is for your children and all that are afar off. All that are afar off. It's for all of us. The power of God. We need the power of God more now than Jesus needed it back then on earth. We need the power of God now. Come on, somebody. We've got to have more of the Holy Ghost now. And we're, people are kicking the Holy Ghost out of their services. We need to have the Holy Spirit now. We need to have those kind of worship songs that we sang earlier. Spirit move. Spirit move now. Spirit move in this room now. Come on. But don't, don't, don't make a mistake. Don't make a mistake that it's just in a building. It's this room. We, this is the temple of the Holy Ghost, not a building. We're the temple of the Holy Ghost. So I want to challenge you today as I close for the seventh time. I know the game starts at one, I'm, I, I, you know, but we're going to get there for the second game, the three o'clock game.
I'm kidding. It's time for the church to rise up and be the church. It's time for the church to stop pretending and start contending. It's time for us to get in the fight. We didn't pick the fight, I told the men. We didn't choose the fight. I, I don't like fights. Even though I'm the little brother, I, you don't have a choice. Either fight or lose. We're in a fight. The enemy picked the fight. The devil's the fighter. He's the contender. But this is what I love. Isaiah 49, 29 says this. 49, 25. This is what God said. I will contend with those that contend with you. In other words, the enemy that is fighting you, God will stand with you against him. But we need to be in the fight. This is the problem with many in the body of Christ. Too many Christians are spiritual conscientious objectors. We don't want to fight. Oh, I don't want to. We didn't pick this fight, but we better win it. We better win this fight. Or we'll lose everything that's near and dear to us. And that's happened in 2020 and 21. That has happened. People have lost everything that is near and dear to them. They've lost their family. They've lost their homes. They've lost their jobs. They've lost so many things. They've lost grandparents. They've lost grandchildren. They've lost all kinds of things. Why? I had a good friend just down the street from our ministry. Good Baptist brother. He's an all-American baseball player. I played against him. He's a good man, godly, wholesome. He and his wife both got COVID. She passed with flying colors. He didn't. He didn't make it. He died on my birthday. I was out of town and I read about it online in the obituaries. I couldn't believe it. Another friend of mine preached the funeral. I know it's devastating. I know it's tough. But this is not a time for passivity. This is not a time to be a spiritual conscientious objector, objector where we're not going to fight the fight. We've got to fight the fight. We've got to win. The worst is coming. We don't fear. I said we don't fear.